Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Orthodoxical Podcast. My name is Kyle Bumgarner, and I'm so glad to have y'all back here. I'm very excited to share this episode with you because I got to sit down and talk with Ray Chang. Ray is the president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, which is a new organization that has already been doing a ton of awesome work in the realm of just Asian American Christian identity and uh, working and, and talking about race and, and culture and how those uh, ideas intersect with Christian faith, uh, particularly in America. And so it's an awesome conversation. I can't wait for you all to hear it. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a, a rating, a subscription, and, and even sharing this on your social media channels, um, I'd really appreciate getting this podcast out and this episode and, and even the show and some of the things we're trying to do at Orthodoxical out to as many people as possible. I appreciate you all so much. And let's dive into this episode with Ray Chang. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Orthodox School Podcast. My name is Kyle Baumgartner, and I am your host, and I am joined today by a very special guest. I have Ray Chang uh, here with me today. So Ray is a chaplain at Wheaton College. Uh, he's a graduate of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and he's currently pursuing his PhD in higher education at Azusa Pacific University. And Ray is also a part of a really cool new initiative called the Asian American Christian Collaborative, which is what we're going to be talking about a lot today. So Ray, thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, it's great to be with you, Kyle. So Ray, if you would, could you tell us a little bit about your own spiritual and theological journey, kind of your background, where, where, you, uh, where you're coming from and, and sort of where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, uh, and so I, I think uh, I'm sixth and seventh, seventh generation Christian from either side, uh, which is very rare as I'm, I'm a Korean American, um, and uh, to have a faith heritage that goes back that far is not common, uh, especially among Korean Americans, uh, generally among a lot of people, right? And so, um, yeah, the Christian faith has been a part of our, our family's legacy for a long time, and, and I've been grateful that my parents raised me in the faith. Um, you know, my parents are our first uh, and 1.5 generation uh, Asian Americans or Korean Americans, so that means that my dad came uh, when he was in uh, kind of his mid-20s, and my mom came, I think, when she was in either junior high or high school. And so my mom would be considered a 1.5 generation because she's closer to uh, the middle or second generation, which I am. Mm. And then my dad is a first generation because he uh, immigrated uh, kind of a little later in life. Uh, mm. I think it was like 26 or 27. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, you know, like, we I, we were going to church uh, for as long as I knew. Uh, my parents were deeply involved, uh, both as deacons and elders. Uh, my mom was always playing the piano or the mm -hmm. organ if the church had an organ, um, and then serving in a variety of ways because the Korean church is very much like a like a, is much more like the Jewish synagogue, you know. So it's a it's not just a center for faith and worship. It's also the center for community to develop, you know, for uh, people to interact, to raise their children, to do education stuff and, and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, my my faith has been, uh, I think, a part of my whole existence. But in terms of like my own kind of like stepping in and taking ownership of my own faith, you know, there, there are probably like two or three moments in which I feel like my faith deepened. 
Uh, the first was when I was like in seven, when I was like seven years old or nine years old. I still don't remember. I think I was seven uh, listening to um, uh, some hymns on the radio as my mom was driving us to their to their deli. And I just started crying. And it was just this beautiful, like, you know, you think of like a chorus in a cathedral with mm-hmm. all the echoes and just the hollowed sound. Mm-hmm. Um that I, for some reason, I don't remember what the song was. I just know it was a hymn. Uh, it was playing on Moody Bible uh, radio or Moody radio. Yeah. And I just started crying. I cried for like two or three hours. And I, my mom, uh, fortunately, had um, the sense uh, that God was doing a work in me. So she said, I think the Holy Spirit's kind of working in your heart. And that 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 was a helpful connection for me to make because I just didn't know where these tears were coming from. And all I remember feeling was just a deep sense of gratitude and then, you know, like in, you know, the, my teens, I had these, you know, retreat moments where, you know, you kind of go, uh, go to the altar. Speaker, <laughs> and so every year I was getting saved again. <laughs> right. um, but then in my kind of like mid twenties, I just remember this, um, it's just this time when I just felt like I was so far from God and God, uh, through the preaching of, of his word really just spoke to me in a way that said, you know, like, the sense of absence and distance that you feel from me um, is actually an indication of my presence. And I'm trying to work my way into your heart to soften your heart. And that really was uh, kind of like a linchpin moment for me where I feel like the gospel kind of sunk in deeper. Uh, I understood grace in a more robust way, uh, kind of understood that even though I am called to pursue holiness, I'm not merely to perform it as a form of behavioral modification, but to actually live it out from a deep fellowship with God. Um, And so that's kind of been where I've, uh, you know, kind of where I've been kind of like uh, where I've been for, for quite a while and I've been grateful for the ways in which God has been working in my life uh, since then and through that. That's awesome, man. I, you know, I've done several of these podcasts and it, never gets old trying or you know hearing people's stories and hearing the ways that god works in in people's lives and and what that means um yeah so now you fast forward your seminary trained you're working at a christian college and you are are getting in on the ground floor of this organization the asian american christian collaborative uh, what led you to to begin working with that organization? And are, are you the founder? I, I think I may have skipped over that. Are you the founder of it or are you co-founder yeah. or? Yeah, one of the founders. Yes. So you are you are one of the the initial founders of this organization. So what kind of led you to that? Yeah. So for years, I think multiple people have been asking me to kind of do something for Asian American Christians, right? Bring people together to represent us, to <clears throat> kind of share about like Asian American Christianity. And I, you know, like I, what I knew is that I had some connections and I, you know, I like being around people. I just like people in general. And so, you know, I, I try to kind of, uh, kind of expand my networks as, as much as possible. And so I feel like I had friends in a variety of places, but one of the consistent things I'd heard and personally experienced was that there's a lack of uh, an organizations uh, uh, that really represented uh, Asian American Christianity. And um, it didn't mean that there weren't people doing the work, uh, but oftentimes they were individuals or they were kind of 
kind of subsumed within other organizations that were predominantly white usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, with the coronavirus and the ways in which anti-Asian racism was rising, mm-hmm. one of the things I noticed was that uh, people were actually starting to pay attention to the Asian American community uh, broadly within society. And then more specifically, uh, even Asian American Christians started asking questions about like, oh man, am I living in a racist society? Am I living in a society that actually doesn't uh, see me as a full member of it? You know, like that they, is it true that they actually don't see me as American as everyone else? Because, you know, uh, for a lot of Asian Americans, um, whether they're Christian or not, you know, like we were kind of conditioned to assimilate uh, mostly because our our first generation immigrant um, parents would oftentimes uh, have to decide between keeping a part of their own kind of cultural expression or erasing it in order to kind of fit in. And so you'll see people like quickly adapt and wear Western clothes instead of clothing that came from their, uh, from their kind of their own own kind of home countries. Uh, And that was because they saw a whole bunch of discrimination for those who were wearing different clothing or they'll quickly try to get rid of their accents because there's only a particular type of accent that's accepted you know, in the country, which is interesting as well, right? Because there's multiple, like you go to Boston, you go to Chicago, you go to the South, you go to the West Coast, you go to Colorado, there's all- There's not one right way of American English. But there are acceptable ways of American English. That is, yes, that's definitely true. And so it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, just to even say that these are acceptable and these are not, even though they all don't sound the same. Um, And so, you know, through, through things like that, you know, a lot of first generation kind of immigrants would oftentimes make the conscious or subconscious decision to uh, basically erase as much of their heritage as possible so that they or their children uh, wouldn't be targeted uh, uh, by kind of prejudicial or discriminatory kind of uh, perspectives or behaviors. What that means though, is that you know, for a lot of Asian Americans, uh, especially second generation and beyond, um, they didn't grow up with as robust of a history uh, or a connection to their kind of cultural heritage and their ties, yet they still operated in a racialized society uh, where people would view them as the kind of the constant other or the perpetual foreigner or the forever foreigner that no matter what they do, you know, they're not American enough, even though they try to do as much as they can to fit in. And so, um, yeah, I mean, things like that, you know, kind of led a lot of people to ask questions around what it means to be an Asian American, including among the Christian community. And uh, even though there are some people, some groups, individuals and organizations doing some good work, um, we just didn't find as much of a broad kind of coalition uh, kind of connecting with one another nationally. And so um, for years, people have been asking me to start something. And I've just kind of been saying, this is not the right time, mostly because Asian Americans won't care ourselves, right? Let alone mm. beyond the Asian American community. Um, but because of the pandemic and the use of terms like the China virus or the Chinese flu or the Kung flu um, and the increase of anti-Asian uh, racism and sentiment that resulted as a, uh, resulted because of it, uh, people were like, okay, we need something that's going to kind of make a declaration, which is why um, 
me, uh, our vice president, uh, Michelle Reyes, Jeff Leo, uh, and then um, Jay Katanis assembled a group of people to, to write the statement on anti-Asian racism and then uh, pivoting from that to actually formalizing an organization, uh, which you know, we're grateful for because you know, we got over 10,000 signatures on the statement. Uh, which people can see on the Asian American Christian Collaborative.com. Uh, and still, it's still relevant to this day, you know, seven months later or six months later. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, we're now we're just trying to create a space where people can kind of be seen, known, heard, uh, kind of, and, and understood as Asian American. And where people who aren't Asian American learn about Asian American Christianity. Amen, dude. That's so good. So I, I want to ask this question to you because I know, I know, but there are so many people that are like, why, why are you starting an Asian American Christian collaborative? Like, why not? Like, you know, it's, and these, this crowd is typically the kind of people that says things like all lives matter or the church is one body, all these sorts of things. And obviously I have issues with that, but I, I would like to hear kind of, and I'm sure you do as well, but I'd like to hear kind of your take about why, why affinity groups like this one, why an organization that is specifically dedicated to Asian American Christians is, is an important and necessary piece for this time. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I, I do believe that all lives matter. Right. And because I believe that all lives matter, I, have no problem saying that black lives matter because in the schema of all lives mattering, we're seeing that black lives don't actually matter. Right. right. Or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the people who actually don't believe that all lives matter are actually saying things like you can't say black lives matter, or I have a problem with black lives matter. Right. right? You're just not committing or seeing what's actually happening in our society. I mean, at some point, you know, the video after video, the story after story, the consistent narrative throughout the 400 years of uh, of of American history, you know, you're either going to be denying that in the same way that many people do deny, like the Holocaust even existed or the Armenian genocide existed. And obviously these are not the same things. Um, and, you know, millions on millions of people uh, were killed during the Holocaust and, and the same thing with the Armenian genocide, but the same spirit exists, right? Where mm-hmm. you just don't want to acknowledge uh, oppression and harm and hurt that exists. Um, and, and I think that's a real, that's a real sadness um, and, and something that I think, you know, people can, can move away from if, if, if possible. Um, but, you know, like, I think the reason that we need to talk about Asian American or African American or any other kind of uh, group that's marginalized is because they're marginalized. And when you're marginalized, you're oftentimes invisible. Mm. And when you're invisible, uh, it's not because you don't, it's not because you're necessarily hiding. It's, it's usually because people are uh, ignoring or negating or uh, dismissing or discounting um, kind of what your group is going through or what, what the people in your community are experiencing. And so, mm-hmm. for example, like even growing up in the American public school system, I did public school, I did private school, and I did homeschool. So I had experience. Oh, wow. You hit the trifecta. I do. And the only thing I didn't do is boarding school. Um, but pretty much like 
in all of those kind of correct all the curriculum i never really learned about you know asian american history right and uh so that pretty much means that i had to see myself in other people's history but no one ever had to see themselves in my history mm. right and my history yep. is very much a fully american experience right it's it's only in america that i that the asian american experience occurred and so um you know, it, it's it, in part because of things like that, right? Where, you know, Asian Americans are oftentimes expected to just kind of be compliant and complicit and quiet um, and really not expected to uh, kind of advocate for themselves or even for other people. And so, you know, that's, uh, I think one of the things that we wanted to do was to say, hey, Asian Americans are here. Asian American Christians have a voice. We have unique contributions that have been laid uh, into us by, by, uh, by God. And that the body is, the body of Christ is fuller if we are able to kind of contribute what, what, what Jesus has kind of deposited into us um, for the, whole, the sake of the whole community. But just in case there's someone that's going to listen and be like, oh my gosh, did he just conflate, you know, like police brutality to, you know, the Holocaust? You know, just, please don't do that. I know that that happens a lot where um, people take things out of context and they didn't hear the spirit of- If anyone actually does that, they're going to, they can come to me because we don't play that here. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, that's We take funny. people's arguments in good faith, on it. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to hear you. I mean, every, I 100% agree with everything you said. Um, I, I think it's, it's one of those things, right. Where I think there's damage done because we're telling half the truth, or I think, I think it was Bonhoeffer that says you, you can tell the truth in an untruthful way. And so saying a phrase like all lives matter or the churches is one body, those are true statements. But when we look at any history of American people that aren't white, that aren't classified or, or type uh, like typographed as white, then that's going to be a, a completely different history and, and be one that is almost always just rife with discrimination and prejudice and, um, and exclusion and, and violence. And, and so I think for me, it's important that um, there are groups like the, a, um, the AACC and, uh, and the witness, which is another group that, um, you know, that is, is centered on the black Christian experience and these, um, these groups that are giving voice to a particular experience in the church and in America um, to people and, and giving them a space where they can feel like they can bring them whole se- their whole selves because they can't do that in a lot of the majority white spaces that they frequent. Yeah. So from uh, it was interesting for me to hear you talk about your family being sixth and seventh generation Christian. Uh, that is like, like you said, that's, that's very rare, I think for a lot of people. Um, and I, I was just wondering, could you tell me um, what, what has been kind of the, the history of Asian American faith in the U S yeah. I mean, it's a robust one, right? I mean, you can't separate um, 
Asian American Christianity from immigration realities, right? And so it's it's really disheartening when you see uh, a lot of kind of Christians, uh, especially white Christians, really kind of harp against the immigrant uh, kind of um, community and and communities, uh, especially as uh, issues of immigration are oftentimes uh, politicized and one party goes one way and another party goes another way, instead of seeing that immigrants actually contribute greatly to the community that our nation is actually a nation of, of, of immigrants. um, And that, and our brothers and sisters in Christ. In a lot of cases. More importantly, yeah, that, you know, like or at least our neighbors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, immigration allows the body of Christ to be in one place, right? Mm -hmm. Multiple, the diverse expression of the body of of Jesus's church to be in one space. And so, um, so you can't separate that. But, you know, one of the things I, I frequently tell my students or, or, um, or, you know, like just anyone who's like interested in like Asian American Christian history is, you know, like you, you have to, see the history behind just the moment that someone crosses uh, and lands on the shores um, where, and so Su Chen Chen is a, uh, is a scholar and she wrote something beautiful where um, essentially it tracked the um, kind of like the, the uh, adoption of Christianity by between the Chinese and the Koreans. And, you know, the history of China is one that's interesting because, um, you know, during uh, during the kind of the imperialism or the colonialism of uh, of of Britain, uh, one of the things that they did was they they noticed that they were having a trade deficit with China, right? And because they were having a trade deficit with China, they try to figure out okay, what do, what can we import into or export to China that is going to kind of balance or even create a surplus for us. And that thing was opium, right? Which is mm. why the major opium wars took place. But tagged onto opium, as as the Chinese people got more and more addicted, they also kind of demanded, right? Because this was creating a major deficit uh, for China now, uh, because the Chinese people were actually being addicted, and, and as as uh, as as Britain was uh, basically dealing drugs to them, right, uh, in a legal fashion. Um. One of the things that you found was that they would also say, not only do you take our drugs, but you have to allow our missionaries to come into place, you know, to come into China. Oh, wow. And because of that, you know, China always saw, you know, Western Christianity as, you know, kind of a version of, you know, like, of kind of like, it tied to the drug trade and things like that. Yeah. So it, it, so the gospel had a harder time kind of entering into, into China, you know, from those age, from those years. But I mean, obviously I think the earliest signs of Christianity in China were like 700 uh, AD, you know, which was far before, um, um, what do you call it? Uh, far before the, uh, the opium wars. Um, but that was a major influence in how, you know, Chinese people saw Christianity, right. That they, they were, basically selling them drugs and trying to do them harm and then forcing them to listen to this thing called the gospel. Um, Whereas Korea would see, you know, missionary work as more tied to social justice work, right? Where they were doing, they saw other countries benefiting from the hospitals that, that Christians were kind of uh, starting and and building and, and schools that, that Christians were kind of uh, were, were, 
were building in in various countries and then so you would see that koreans were actually the korean i think government actually first invited christian missionaries to come to uh, korea to learn and then you see like a, a a deeper adoption which is why even in in when you saw like a uh the the first immigrants come to hawaii and um and to work on the plantations and things like that which were actually really terrible conditions you know um like they were slave-like conditions um you would see that koreans uh were far more kind of open to adopting uh, christianity as as their religion and receiving jesus through faith whereas chinese people had in their historical memory um the opium wars and so uh, so like, I mean, obviously the Asian American history, Asian American faith is a diverse one, right? You have to break it down by different ethnicities. Um, but because most of our immigration came in 19, you know, post 1965, um, even though there are many churches, you know, that are you know, hun- uh, over a hundred years old in the United States. Uh, and there's a long history of that. And w- what you'll see is the churches that came here early on, um, especially like the hundred plus year churches, you'll see like a direct tie with their existence and uh, and activism, right? So they were politically engaged as oh. well as uh, kind of faithfully preaching the gospel message week in and week out. Uh, and mostly that's because they were experiencing racism and xenophobia on a regular basis. And so they knew that they had to kind of train their congregants to navigate uh, a basically a racialized and racist society uh, that had no interest in supporting or, or helping them. Uh, post-1965, you saw a lot less activism, mostly because uh, a lot of the people that were coming into the United States uh, from Asia were highly educated, highly experienced, um, with a lot of expertise, and uh, they were coming to kind of fill particular jobs. Um, but then, you know, they also had to find community because they would often experience discrimination as well within their workspaces, and so they would start these kind of Korean or Chinese churches uh, and that became like their kind of safe haven you know throughout the week where they could recharge to go back into a predominantly white space uh, through the rest of the week um, and so you see a lot of kind of churches serving as that like I said earlier the, the, the synagogue mentality or the community center along with the worship center. Wow I mean that is I that is history that is heretofore unknown to me so that's so cool to hear just how um, you know, I'm also public school, so didn't, I never really heard too much about Asian American, uh, history other than just a few things here and there, but it's, yeah, that's so amazing that these, you have two, these two very different cultures and how, you know, they associate Christianity with different things and how that sort of played into the carrying of the faith into, um, their immigration story. Um, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what would you say are some of the, some of the, I guess, for lack of a better word, like the beautiful things about the Asian American Christian experience? And and what are some of like the challenging or or harrowing things that come with being a, an Asian American Christian? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, being an Asian American Christian, uh, it, you're, you're not only navigating kind of generational issues, but you have your feet planted in both worlds, right? And so you know, your parents are usually, especially if you come from first generation, right? If you're, if you're a third generation, if you're first and second generation where your parents uh, immigrated here, it's a little bit different than if you're like, if your parents are second generation and then you're, you're a third generation kid. I'm a first gen, I'm a second generation. So that means my parents immigrated here. 
Um, and most of the immigrant churches are first generation, you know, dominant with kind of like a second generation subsect. We're starting to see a transition where uh, there are second generation congregations within the first generation church that are uh, as vibrant, as large, as significant um, as the first generation kind of predominantly Asian language speaking kind of con con congregation, but um, not necessarily always. And then you're seeing another, um, you're seeing like a large movement of people planting churches that are just second gen. Usually it's them splitting off from the first gen uh, because they're finding that it's not working uh, to kind of coexist. And so they, they leave um, wanting to start their own thing. And a lot of that has, is some of the challenging or harrowing things where, um, you know, you just see kind of power dynamics, you know, which culture is kind of preferred the first generation or the second generation. Um, and the first generation is trying to preserve their culture, not only because they kind of miss their homeland, but because they, in some ways, whether they know it or not, are trying to preserve, you know, what they know that the broader society wants them to kind of eliminate, right? Um, but, you know, some of the beautiful things that, you know, I think are there around the Asian American Christian experience is like a deeper sense of community. I mean, like I lead three different small group type of ministries on our, on our campus at Wheaton and nobody does community like the Asian American community, right? It's just, it's just, it's just different. And everyone thinks that they have community, but, you know, like I love it when like our white or black students or Latino students kind of go into like an Asian American small group and they, you know, kind of like, oh, this is the first time I've been around this many Asians. This is the first time I've been a minority. And then they feel like this deep embrace. Like they're like, man, I just feel like I don't know everything that's going on here, but I know enough where like, it's just this huge sense of belonging. And I think it's, it's rooted in this collectivism that is kind of just flowing within our brain or within our, within our veins. Um, like where we see ourselves as a part of a community first and that we put the community ahead of oftentimes over our own needs, which is why, you know, and you'll see this within the black church too, right? Where, mm -hmm. um, and the Latino church, actually, it's, it's it, where service isn't just uh, kind of like, you know, me doing something. It's actually me enhancing the body and seeing all the ways in which we're in, interconnected and, 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 uh, and building each other up. Uh, as a result, um, it's much less industrial kind of uh, manufacturing line. And it's much more like, you know, like, uh, like a peg on a wheel, you can't get rid of a peg on a wheel. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot, you know, I think that the collective identity, you know, uh, the, the sense of table fellowship i never grew i never went to korean church uh without having a meal at the end of worship service oh praise right? god <laughs> i mean like that's that's more in line with the communion that we saw in the bible right and in right. the church it was a full-on meal not a tiny little wafer and you know and some grape juice in a tiny cup it was like hey we're gonna share life together and, you know, the, the way that they would do that is by having different, basically, kind of regional groups or small groups prepare the meal for the entire church, no matter how big it is, right? And so it's like, if they have a bigger church, they have more small groups, which means that more small groups kind of prepare the meal. But like, even at my father-in-law's church, you know, which is probably somewhere between like three to 500 people, a small group would prepare a meal for three to 500 people every week, 
a different small group. Wow. And and Korean food is also designed to be communally eaten. You know, like the, the, the lazy Susans that they have in Chinese restaurants are there because people eat from the same dish. And so obviously with coronavirus, everything changes a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's still a communal experience where you can make food in big batches, um, which I do think that in like more rural kind of white towns, you see some of that with like their kind of hot dishes and casseroles and, at stews, which you know, you're from the Midwest for sure, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say you you know your Midwestern food, <laughs> um, but you know, like it, it's much more kind of catered to the communal experience, and it's not just the food; it's everything. The prayer. I mean, you think about beautiful things about Asia. Like I, I never grew. I, I grew up with a sense that prayer was an essential part of our of our life, and it was done in community. It wasn't just something that you only did in your own room, but you did it you know, in, in, in the presence of the community, oftentimes uh, at, at hours that you didn't want to pray, like at 6 a.m. <laughs> in the morning or 5 a.m. in the morning, and you were on your knees um, kind of pleading to God to meet you uh, with his mercies each and every day. And it's, it's just a different type of spiritual vibrancy. That's amazing, man. It's, I, I love, again, I love just hearing the ways that Christianity just takes form in different, um, in different contexts. Um, it's for me personally, it's one of my favorite, like apologetics, I think for the Christian faith is how well it contextualizes to different, um, to different groups of people. So what, um, what would you label as some of the the distinctives of Asian American Christian faith, and and what would you say are some unique perspectives that Asian Americans bring to the Christian faith? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of touched on some of them. Um, you know, the the communal aspect, mm-hmm. you know, our our emphasis on prayer. You know, I think you know the the ways that the generations interact. You know, a lot of, and I'm I'm primarily speaking out of the Korean American experience, but because I have spoken at a lot of Chinese churches and conferences, uh, Japanese churches and conferences and, and other Asian, I mean, those are like the primary East Asian. Um, and then like, I, I do have friends that are in other kind of like Filipino or, you know, Hmong, you know, um, kind of Christian communities uh, and our pastors of, of different churches. I I'm familiar that there's, there's an overlap, but I mean, obviously I'm speaking primarily from the Korean American perspective. Um, but I think I don't think that we understand how significant community is different. For example, you know, like I said, you know, after church, uh, we would always go and eat. Uh, we would have a meal together. When I when I served at a white church uh, or a predominantly white church, it was shocking to me that you know Sunday was pretty much the Sunday experience, right? It was you go you're you're at church for for an hour and a half and then you're gone. If it, maybe you have Sunday school, right, for another hour, but that's pretty much it. When, that's unheard of, right, in the Asian American church. Uh, the second generation uh, is adopting more of that because they've adopted much more of the rhythms of kind of the suburban Western kind of culture um, where, you know, like you, you, you focus primarily on, you know, like if you have kids, like their athletic stuff or their academic stuff or whatever it is that they're supposed to do. But that was always found within the church. Right. So like, I remember being at church for like six or seven hours every Sunday, like at a minimum, right. Sometimes they would have us there for 12 hours, depending on how early my mom had to go in to, to play the piano. 
um, and then have like a, a worship late at night. And then because most Asian churches um, weren't like there weren't the, like the they weren't like necessarily close to where all the Asians lived, like it was a very common experience for us to commute to our churches. Right. Uh, and so that created a different sense of community, whereas, you know, like the average kind of white American Christian would probably not drive more than 30 minutes to go to church. And if they do, it's not normal. Um, most people would be like, okay, that's really far. But for us, it was normal for us to drive an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes just to go to oh, church. Oh, wow. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the notion of community is very different. You know, like everyone is called auntie and uncle right like i go to a new if i when i'm guest speaking at a church uh and and it's i and if i'm only if i only know one person for example uh who invites me um and they introduce me to everyone when they introduce when the, when everyone else who i've never met before introduces me to their kid they say this is uncle raymond this is or pastor I mean, if they don't call me pastor ray or pastor raymond they'll call me uncle because that's just like a part of the 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 ethos, like you're, if you're in the walls of the church, you are family. Right. Um, and so, <clears throat> yeah, it just, I mean, there's, there's things of that nature. I think, you know, we have a, a huge emphasis on, on holiness, you know, our, our views on sanctification are, are a little bit different. You know, we're much, what in some ways we're kind of, we're harder on ourselves than I see kind of the average American, like white American. Uh, but at the same time, I think that, on, an, on the, the downfall is that we don't understand grace as well, right? So I feel like hmm. uh, white Christians are really good at giving grace to themselves, whereas Asian Christians are not. <laughs> um, you know, and so there's a- Oh, that is painfully true. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's, and there's a host of things like that. Yeah. Man, so, I mean, I, I've so many questions now that are kind of like springing off of that. Um, how, how does kind of, uh, how does the, the idea of the, the model minority kind of impact the Asian American Christian experience? Cause I know that that's something that a lot of, um, both publicly, a lot of Asian American celebrities and, and scholars, and even just, you know, friends I have that are Asian American kind of talk about how that impacts different um aspects of their lives and i'm sure you know kind of the church um the church aspect of that is no different yeah i mean it's it affects us significantly both from uh by cultivating an internal pressure uh to assimilate and to kind of fit the mold and then from the external pressures uh, to, to fit them. So from the internal perspective, the model minority myth basically says that um, you have to keep your head down, you know, work hard, that you have to achieve a certain standard of righteousness that's approved by society, not by, not by Jesus, but by society mm, yeah. uh, and live into the stereotypes um, that, that, that kind of plague Asian Americans, which often means that we're, um, not people who rock the boat that we're not really people who um are engaged in advocacy either for ourselves or for other people that we never uh kind of address uh problems straightforwardly and that uh we're just okay with whatever we're handed 
Um, and that's a pretty common thing, you know, internally, that means that anytime we speak up, we're like processing through and debating what you know, weighing the pros and the cons in ways that other kind of racial groups don't necessarily have to. So it's like amplified, right? I mean, everyone kind of does that, it tries to be mindful, but we do that at an extra higher level because we know that, you know, like there's a stereotype upon us that if we break this mold, that we will either get punished or ostracized or excluded, um, which is a very common experience, right? Um, you'll see people get invited less to um, to committees or you'll see inv people get invited less to decision-making tables because they're seen as a rabble rouser. Uh, whereas if you're African-American, you're almost expected to, you know, kind of be uh, pushing the envelope and the envelope. And so when we push the envelope, it, it becomes more challenging. And then it's exhausting for African-Americans because they don't want to be the ones that have to be pushing the envelope all the time. They shouldn't be right. And so the stereotypes work harmfully in both ways. Um, but yeah, so I, internally it creates a lot of pressure, which we see is leading to a lot of mental health issues. You know, like the Asian American population actually has a high level of um, mental health kind of uh, issues that emerge as a, as a result of, of being racialized. Uh, and then also, you know, it internally, um, you know, like it means that we experience a deeper level of shame and uh, our failures are far more crippling, right? If mm -hmm. we don't kind of fit in or if we don't kind of meet up, live up to expectations. And so uh, there's a lot of more, there's a lot more internal pressure. Externally, we get more punished. You know, we get punished at a higher rate, right? So if we do speak up, if we do challenge the status quo, um, not, you know, like because it's not expected of us and because the opposite expect is expected of us, um, we, we get, you know, uh, excluded or pushed out or um, kind of penalized for it. Uh, and so it's, it's really challenging, you know, like it, this is why a lot of Asians kind of fit within the, the you know, the middle management. They're like, we're good workers, but we're not good leaders. Um, I mean, I can't even tell you how many people have said, man, you're a really good leader. And the tone of that is much more of like, you're a good leader for who you are because you shouldn't be a good leader because you should just be a good hard worker. Mm. Right. And so I usually ask, what do you mean by that? And then they'll explain, well, I just didn't expect it. I'm like, why don't you expect that of me? Like, do you say this to other like white, white leaders that white male leaders that are six one and you know, my build, you know, like, what is it about me that you kind of feel like oh, I'm a, you know, I you were expecting me to be a worse leader. And so it, it becomes like a discipleship moment where you kind of go back and forth and you kind of help them say, oh, I, you're right. I didn't assume that Asians could be good leaders. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think I'm that good of a leader. But, you know, I'm like, I'm, I think that, you know, like the fact that, you know, like you assume that an Asian shouldn't be a good leader, right? Because it, it takes a while to get there, uh, reveals a lot. And so we try to work through stuff like that. Yeah. And I imagine just hearing that the way that plays out is... And I think there's a particular way that this plays out in like churches and and ministry contexts where kind of like you were saying, it's like there's this expectation that you're supposed to be a certain kind of, of, of minister or pastor, but it's like, oh, this person, I learned something from this person or they gave me spiritual guidance or, you know, it just, it comes across as very different Um or it comes across as, as demeaning in a way that it doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean to, but it, it doesn't 
change the fact that it's impacting the person who's like, yeah, I went to school and I learned about the Bible and I'm teaching you these things. Yeah. I mean, it's it, usually they're, they're positive stereotypes that, you know, kind of reduce us down to those stereotypes, right? You're good at math or um, man, you're, you know, like you're a great team player or um, you know, things like that. It's like, you don't think that being good at math is like a slight, but then you realize, oh, it's because you're expected to be good at math. And then when we're not good at math and it hurt, then it's like, oh man, should we have been good at math? What if I'm not good at math? Oh my gosh, I'm not living up to the expectation. Yeah. The fact that these expectations even exist are, are problematic. Yeah. So kind of pivoting back to um, the organization, Asian American Christian Collaborative. So you found this organization kind of in the midst of <laughs> beginnings of COVID, swelling sort of anti-Asian uh, American racism. As I'm, as I'm looking at, um, you know, your, your org and, and also just, you know, talking with you now, um, one of the things that I, I just keep thinking about is how, how, uh, how big of a, like a conglomerate really that the Asian American identity kind of is. And what I mean by that is just kind of hearing you talk about even the differences between Korean Christianity and Chinese Christianity is, is obviously two very different cultures, two very different experiences of Christianity. And yet they're still kind of falling under this umbrella of Asian American and, and Asian American Christian. And so I guess my, my thought is how, um, as an organization, are you working to accommodate just these vastly different cultures. Um, and, and even as I was thinking about it, is that a lot of times when we, when we speak about the Asian, quote unquote, Asian American culture, we're speaking about East Asian. And so we're talking about, you know, Korea, Vietnam, Japan, China, but we're not even really talking about like South Asian or, uh, you know, Burmese or, or um, you know, Philippines or, or Indonesia or anything like that. So how do you, I mean, how do you incorporate these very like vastly different cultures under one umbrella? Yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? So we do our best to, and I think, you know, we do that primarily through a diversity of leadership, right? Mm -hmm. I'm Korean American. Uh, Michelle is Indian American. Jay is Filipino American. Jeff is uh, Chinese American, Taiwanese more specifically. Um, you know, we have Kong who's uh, Hmong. Uh, and, you know, you just kind of go down the list and we're, we're looking for more. Uh, and I think this is probably the most diverse Asian uh, kind of organization. I was going to uh, say, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's a good amount of people. Yeah. And, you know, and of course we have more and we're looking for more. I'd love to find some uh, Vietnamese Christians and some, uh, some Japanese Christian. Actually, we do have Japanese. He just, he's just starting to volunteer with us now. Um, and so, um yeah, so we have we have we have a, a huge gamut. At least those are the one, two, three, four, five, six. Those we have all six of the largest ethnic groups represented, wow. uh, except for Vietnamese. Uh, and so we're looking for someone who's Vietnamese. So if they're listening in on this, you know, know that we we want you uh, as a part of our organization. And if they have hard skills that you can bring, we'd love that. Uh, but I think the key thing is representation, right? I mean, like there are things that I'm learning from my peers and my friends and my colleagues that. 
um, I would have never known and seeing similarities and differences between the ways that we were raised because you can only know so much, but it, you can always learn. And the, the best way to learn is by being in relationship and in community with each other. I can, I can do so much reading, right? But it's, it's great when someone says, hey, you know, like when you do that, that's a very Korean way of you doing that or Korean American way of you doing that. And I'm like, okay, how would, how would you have done it? And they were like, I would have done it this way because this is my, you know, blank way of doing it. And I find that ex extremely helpful, right? Because in some ways you have to negotiate, you know, like, okay, what is um, like, what's going to be most honoring just to God, not to God, not only to God, but to other people. And then also to figure out, you know, um, like how God has kind of distilled into us you know, all the different ways in which uh, kind of we express, you know, our faith in him, you know, aligned in the, you know, in, in the word, you know, rooted in the word of God and um, committed to the, the, the message of the gospel. And so, um, yeah, so apart from representation, we do a lot of learning. You know, we are always listening to other people. We're always trying to pay attention to what other people are experiencing and saying. And, uh, and, um, and we take people's experiences seriously, right? We, and we cherish, you know, the fact that people are willing to share their cultural heritage with us and write for us through the Reclaim publication or to join our podcast through the Reclaim, Reclaim podcast and, and kind of share their perspectives. And I, I think it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a sacred trust, um, but it's mostly the representation in our kind of like intellectual or epistemological humility. Yeah. I, I think those are just absolutely crucial and, and just missing, I think from so many organizations in general, just, one being willing to say, hey, I have a perspective, it's valid, but I know it's not the only valid thing out there. And then also just, if you have, like the fact that you all are taking on a plurality of leadership, I think is just so, um, it, it just puts you in, in such a good position to succeed and to not kind of step into something that you're, you weren't necessarily ready for or, or, or make mistakes in that way because, it's just like you have someone who's going to say, Hey, like you said, they're going to say, Hey, I, as this kind of person, I, I wouldn't have said this this way, or this wouldn't connect with me this way, or I would have this kind of reaction if you told me that. And that's why. And so then you have the ability to take the step back and say, this is how, this is, this is how I can, I can change and, and learn from this moment and, and kind of learn how to operate within this particular context. So that's so awesome that y'all have that that plurality of leadership and you have that uh, that diversity of perspectives that you're bringing in. That's, man, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that is probably the most diverse Asian, Asian American organization I, I've probably ever heard of. Um, so for, for the organization, what are some of your hopes and goals for the work that you're doing? Uh, you, you, had the statement which was awesome and and you just started a podcast which everyone who's listening to this podcast should go check out uh it, i think y'all just recently put out your first episode that's right yeah so the reclaim podcast go check it out and they you have a magazine that people can write for correct so you have all of these cool things that you're kind of bringing together and you've even done some work with like be the bridge and stuff right yeah, uh, be the bridge. We've been doing some stuff with the Bidianya Buile, who does the front. Y'all have been busy. 
done some stuff with uh, Jamar Whit- Jamar Tisby and The Witness. Um, and then, of course, we uh, organized a march uh, in Chicago uh, with That's uh, right. Christian Union Church and the Progressive Baptist Church, which is uh, pastored by Charlie Dates. Charlie Dates. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think I think what that what all this shows is pretty much like, you know, like we're not like trying to generate relationships out of thin air. We've actually been developing relationships for a while. Um, and so, like, even when we were writing the statement, all I had to do, you know, was text um, like Jamar and say, hey, Jamar, can you sign this? And two minutes later, he was like done. Um, you know, I texted Gabriel Salguero, who um, who does the National Evangelical Lat- uh, National um, uh, the Evangelical for Latinos. I, I, I'm so bad at his National name. Latino Evangelical Coalition. Is that what it is? Yeah, Nalik. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I'm so sorry, Gabe. Uh, but I texted <laughs> him, and you know, within a minute, he was like done. You know, I I messaged the BD, and he was like, I. I got you, um, you know, Charlie, same thing. And so, you know, these relationships, you know, really um, help because they know that you're actually about the work, right? There's a lot of people that um, kind of jumped onto the bandwagon of racial justice after the George Floyd thing, where they were stumbling to kind of make statements or trying to figure out what to say from the pulpit. And, you know, like it actually led to deeper frustration because they haven't been doing the work for a long time. And they basically said nothing of any substance, just nodding to the fact that someone, um, you know, was basically brutalized and killed with someone's knee on them. And then, of course, you see the Breonna Taylor stuff, um, where if they were in a suburb, that probably wouldn't have happened. Um, You know, and so, you know, you just you just realize that there's, you know, like um, there are people that that you know, these partnerships do demand that, you know, not only the relationships, but that you actually show the, that you're doing the work. Um, because again, with Asian Americans, I think a lot of Latino and African Americans um, look at us and they're like, where, where are you guys really? Like, are you as Asian American Christians really for justice? Because you've been so absent in, in a lot of the conversations and that's understandable. It's understandable, even though we do have uh, a rich history of a small sliver of Asian American Christians kind of have, having been a part of um, kind of like an activistic, uh, at the activistic stream of evangelicalism. Yeah, definitely. For your organization, then what what are some hopes and and goals for um, for the for the work that you're doing now, and and kind of where where you're looking to go, and what you hope it will be. Yeah, so we, we kind of break it down into ACE, A-C-E. Uh, we do advocacy work where we want to make sure that, you know, we're not just sitting comfortably and kind of uh, being insular in the, in the work that we're doing. And so we want to advocate not only for other Asian Americans, but also for uh, African Americans, Latinos, and Native Americans, and Middle Easterners, right? Especially if they're in the faith, right? But even if they're not, because we acknowledge their... Um, their our shared kind of uh, our shared imago day, yeah, imago day. Um, we'll advocate for their humanity and for their flourishing, um, hoping that it will actually help them to see that the church isn't just uh, full of bigots or people who hate them or people who are indifferent towards their their, their plights and actually care about you know the things that they're that they care about, especially the Asian American church, right? Um, 
And then, you know, we see we want to create a community uh, for for Asian American Christians and friends of our community. So like, and our friends to, to really kind of uh, find each other, to see, be seen through the work that we're doing and then to connect through our platforms. Um, and then, you know, E is the education work, right? So we actually want to do uh, work that helps kind of elevate consciousness, understanding and awareness around, around different issues, um, especially issues that are, and perspectives that come from the Asian American community so good man um man i'm just so grateful for the work of organizations like the the aacc like i mean in so many ways i just so many people are indebted to y'all and the work that you're doing and yeah we're just i'm just grateful for y'all so what um what parting words would you offer to to asian american christians who who may be listening to this and are just kind of wondering in this particular moment, highly probably polarized, highly politicized moment, what, um, you know, what does their faith say to, to their experience and their identity as an Asian American? And then what would you say to non-Asian Christians that are, that are kind of pondering how they relate to Asian American Christians and when, what that looks like? Yeah. So for Asian American Christians, I would say, you know, like you're not alone. Um, There are others like you, uh, especially if you're listening to this and you're feeling like, man, I just haven't been able to find a place where I can kind of tie my Asian Americanness to my Christianity. And I, and, and I don't have to kind of live in a uh, place where those things are bifurcated or separated from one another. Know that, you know, that you're not alone and that you have people through the AACC uh, who want to be walking with you and journeying with you. And uh, that we hope that you see yourself in the resources that we produce, uh, in the writings that we write. Um, and, and, you know, if you have a desire to volunteer with us, uh, we are a volunteer-led organization. And so, um, you know, you'll be joining a, a, a little family of of people who are doing good work. Um, beyond that, you know, I think, you know, for Asian Americans, I think it's important, especially Asian American Christians, to know your history, uh, learn the history of, of Asian Americans more broadly, and then explore what it means to be Asian American Christian. Uh, it's just something that's deeply lacking uh, in our kind of psyche to the point where like most Asian Americans don't even know what it means to be Asian American anymore, let alone an Asian American Christian. Um, they think that, you know, like, and there's a perfect example of this is like at Urbana, a couple of Urbanas ago, you know, like they had like a variety of worship sets. And um, one of the things I kind of heard through the grapevine was that uh, the people that were kind of more culturally and racially kind of aware would say, oh man, you got the black uh, kind of worship band leading gospel music and incorporating things that, you know, like you can tell were distinct black, you know, like from the black culture. Uh, then you have uh, the Latinos that are incorporating sounds from the, the, la- la- the, from the Latino culture. Then you had, you know, the, the white band play, um, you know, Hillsong and Chris Tomlin and CCM and things like that. And then you had the Asian band come up and they would play Hillsong and, <laughs> yeah, and things like that. And it sounded exactly the same, essentially, in what they were saying. Um, and I said that there's, 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 we, we've, in some ways, we've allowed others to erase us, but then 
we falsely erased ourselves, you know, in the mm. process. Um, and so it's, it's, it's helpful for us to reclaim, you know, who God has made us to be and to bring into a kingdom community, all that that's there. For non-Asians, I would say, you know, the same thing, like learn about Asian American you know, history and our present realities, um, you know, like, and then like question whether you are, you know, operating on a deeply embedded kind of societal stereotypes that, you know, kind of limit Asian Americans to kind of stay with uh, under the bamboo ceiling, you know, which says that you can only go up so far because I don't think segregation is as much, um, horizontal anymore but vertical in the sense that you know you'll see a lot of asian americans within um you know predominantly white churches and and broadly you know like you you're, all the diversity we see the majority of the diversity we see within within the evangelical world is not because uh white people or white christians are going into spaces or places that are led by uh christians of color it's only because christians of color are going into uh spaces that are predominantly led by white uh, white Christians or cultures that are shaped by white Christians, right? So you can still have a uh, a person of color leading a culturally white church, right? And so, and then you can still have elders that have uh, kind of, that are being elders within a culturally white church. But the thing that I think a lot of people don't see is how, you know, like there's a higher, there's a kind of correlation between those who are appointed into leadership roles and uh, those, and especially Asians uh, being assimilated into what we would call whiteness, right? Which is uh, uh, an expression of, of white dominance, white kind of preferences uh, and white normativity. Um, and what we need to see is uh, like a true diversity of expression all you know within the framework of God's word and in the expressions that God has kind of um, kind of set before us um, but to know that you know like because that's one of the things I regularly see I hear from congregants and elders who have left the church that they only liked me because they thought I was one of I was exactly like them mm. but when I started bringing up my Asian American kind of perspective I quickly got kind of pushed back or mm or let behind and it was only when my when my perspective as an asian american aligned 100 percent with theirs or like 90 percent with theirs that i got i was accepted enough and that was taken seriously and so those are things that were worth thinking about um and then also to know that you know asian americans have more in common with african americans than we do with um whites historically and so that there needs to be some bridge building between the black and asian and black and then the latino and asian communities as well yeah, that's, yeah, that's also good. Oh, man, we've got work to do, brother. You've got work to do. Ray, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was uh, just a really awesome opportunity to to chat and, uh, you know, hear more about not only your experience, but uh, just really kind of highlight and profile your organization. I think, like I said before, I think you guys are doing really great, amazing work. I mean, you've only been around for a couple of months and you would just listed off like four or five things that y'all have already kind of been involved with and, and doing. So I think that's awesome. No, that's really good. No, I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate you, Kyle, for, for the invitation and, you know, know that, you know, there is the work is worth it um, because it's Jesus who empowers us. Amen. 
Amen, sir. All right. Well, thanks y'all for listening in and we'll see you next time. Peace and blessings. Mm -hmm.